A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, tonight is a very special night. Uh, John, come on up. Let's get, we'll get yourself situated. Uh, it's with great honor and a lot of joy that I get to introduce to you the Reverend Canon, Dr. Did you add any other titles during the service? No, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to get rid of a few. John Schuler. Uh, John is the Servant General of NAM's New English Anglican Missionary Society. He oversees missionaries all over the world, both Anglican and non-Anglican. So John is a, a man of great authority in that respect, but he's also really dear to me. Just he, I just call him my first pastor. I worked for a lot of pastors before, no disrespect to any of them. But... Um, but John was the first man that, that saw what the Lord put in me and, and kind of called that out in his wily sort of way. Um, so, but John was also the first person to introduce me to St. Bartholomew back in 2009 on St. Bart's Day in August in uh, Fleming Island, Florida at Grace Anglican Church. So it's just a gift that you're here with us, you and Cynthia, and go for it. Let me, can I pray for you? Yes, please. Is that all right? Okay. Lord, we love you. We love John and Cynthia. Lord, thank you for the, the, the beautiful way that you proclaim and trumpet your word through John. The way that he delights in you and the way that you delight in him. And Lord, that just becomes so evident as we listen. So anoint him now, bless him to teach us, but Lord, for you to teach us and for us to sit together at your feet this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you. All right, thank you. I love you. This is an enormous blessing for, for Cynthia and I nod your head right my dear my dear introvert doesn't like to be called out from in the in the service but this is enormous blessing when uh, jay and amy and isaac and josiah came to be with us um, jay arrived to be the minister of music i hired him on the staff um, and uh, but it was very very quick and we loved them all but very quickly olivia came along and then uh, we started to discern that there really was a call to to pastoral ministry on Jay that was just beyond his musical gift, which some of you may or may not know what a remarkable gift he has. No surprise to me that your worship team is like, I don't want to stop. Could we just keep singing? Um, Jay has asked, he's given me an assignment, not like any assignment I've ever had. I've been preaching for... 48 years, but I've never been given an assignment quite like tonight. Did I do something? Okay. Um, he wants me to preach on a collect, a collect. If you're new to the Anglican world, it looks like collect, but it's collect. It's pronounced collect. And it's, it's a way the church through the centuries 
developed to pray Sunday by Sunday and special day by special day with, with a unique prayer that, when it works well, collects up a theme. It collects up the theme of the scriptures that day and sort of puts them in prayer form. And he's asked me to do that. Well, gee, many Christmas, nobody ever asked me to preach on a collect. Now, I love the collects of the church, and, and I have to tell you that if you prayerfully were to study the collects of the church for a year's worth of them, you'd have a pretty good short course in Anglican theology. You, would you agree, Nelson? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's really true. Nelson and I go back a long way, too, and Judy. But, but he wants me to preach on the collect for St. Bartholomew's Day. Now, I have a new friend in Little Rock, Arkansas, where Cynthia and I have a home part of the year. And he knows, and I know, that today is the Feast of Thomas Aquinas. So what in the world am I doing preaching about St. Bartholomew, who has his own day, August 24th? So I hope Thomas Aquinas will forgive me. I'm going to do it. Now, to do this, I have to tell you about John and the collect. Jay said a little bit just then, but I have to tell you about me and the collect before I say a prayer and try to preach about the collect. Um, I was a young curate. Curate is what the English church calls a, a newbie. You're just out of seminary, theological college. You don't know what you're doing, but you've been ordained. And you get assigned, usually, you're what's called your first curacy to someone who has some compassion one day a week. And, that, and somebody who about six days a week knows how to knock a young curate into shape. And I was given one of those priests, a wonderful man, gone to be with the Lord. And I was new. I was very young. I was, uh, it was 1973. There are, there are a good many of you in the room here that weren't alive uh, when I'm remembering. But it was 1973. And the, the rector told us there was a guest preacher that Sunday coming from the university. I was at, living in Durham, England. The university had just received a new a new lecturer in the Department of Theology, and my rector invited him to preach. His name was, he, I don't know what his name was, because he was one of those Englishmen that went by initials. Um, Chris, he was T-H-L Parker. He had three names and then Parker. I think they called him Tom. But he was ancient. He was 55. And he was boring. And, and that's, that's really true. I mean, he had been, he'd been a, a, a vicar in a country church near Cambridge for 30 years and had never probably seen more than 40 or 50 people in church on a Sunday. But he was a scholar priest, and he was a scholar of the Reformation, and he was a brilliant man, and I now know, but didn't know then, a very godly man. I looked him up this morning early, uh, and I discovered to my delight that he died in 2016, just before his 100th birthday. But he'd been retired from the University of Durham since he was 65. Well, anyway, he preached in the morning, and he preached in the evening. Still in those days, in the Church of England, living churches had morning services and evening services. Typically, the evening service was evensong, evening prayer. When it was sung, we always called it evensong. It was never called evening prayer. But in the morning, we had a Eucharistic 
uh, we had early Eucharist, and then the main service was a family Eucharist. And he preached a boring sermon. I cannot tell you one thing that was in the sermon, except he told us that God had all our tears in a bottle. Which, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know, means he preached from the 56th Psalm. But what I remember is this. When he started his sermon, he prayed a prayer that made me tingle. My body experienced the prayer. And I didn't know where it came from or what it was, but it sounded like a prayer that was from the prayer book. That's all I can tell you. It sounded like that. Well, we were back in the evening, and when he, he actually did a two-part sermon on Psalm 56, part one in the morning and part two in the evening. And I was groaning because it had been so painful to sit through his sermon in the morning. Um, but again, he started the sermon with that prayer, that collect. I now know it was, I didn't know then it was, but I thought it might be. He prayed it again and again. I physically experienced what I would now have to say is the Spirit of God. I didn't know quite what I was experiencing, but I know now that it was the Spirit of God. And it went into me. The prayer went into me. It just pierced me. About the same time, very proximate, I, I, I didn't journal it, so I can't tell the exact dates of either the, the sermon by Dr. Parker or what I'm about to tell you, but very near the same time, same year, same place, Durham, England, the Lord spoke to me in the Spirit as I was walking with our two young boys. And I don't have any memory of how I was thinking or what was going on, but I suddenly heard in interior of my soul, uh, I was spoken to. Some of you may have had an experience like that. And, and the, the voice said, there needs to be an Anglican order of church planters. And it was 1973. I think it was early fall, early autumn, as the English would say. And that went into me. That went into me. I don't know what else to say. It, was, it became a, a piece of my little heart. It was in there. So that collect and that word from God came to me that day. Now, whenever I brought up the, the idea, I was afraid to tell anyone I'd heard a voice. <laughs> you know, in those days, they took you to the hospital if you heard a voice. Now they just throw you out. You know, that's so true when I look at you that I might cry. Um, so, but when I would bring it up, people would say to me in England, I mean, you got to be nuts. I mean, we got buildings everywhere. We can't afford them. We can't, we got nobody in them. We need to close them. What do you mean start new churches? And of course, what the Spirit of God meant and what I intuited was it means new communities of faith. It, it's not about buildings, but we are so caught in using the word church in such an unbiblical way that anyone says church planting, you think buildings, you think land. But that's not what Jesus thinks. 
when, when Jesus wants a new church, he means new people. <laughs> Two or three is enough for him, gathered in his name, to begin a new work anywhere in the world without any resources except him. But at the time, I was so young, and, and the English church was absolutely, totally incapable of thinking of starting new churches. And so, as will often happen, when you, when you think the Lord wants you to do something, or when you think the Lord wants you to say something, and you get rebuffed, which you usually do, you kind of go into yourself, and, and, it, and it sort of, you hide it. Now, if you're really holy, like the Blessed Virgin Mary, you ponder it in your heart and you keep talking to God about it. Well, what happened to me was after a number of times of being rebuffed, the last one I can vividly remember in 1978 when we were now back in America, I began to think, well, the Lord put that in my heart because I'm supposed to find somebody in my ministry who will do that. And so from 1973 to 1993, I looked for some fool who would be willing to start an Anglican order of church planters. And, and I couldn't find him. And I got really frustrated. And I got to that point, which is dangerous, but many of you in the room, maybe all of you that are true Christians know, there are times when you shake your fist at God. You just go like, well, I just don't understand it. You know, why is this happening? <laughs> and, you know, you have a good Jewish discussion with, with your father in heaven. And I, and I was in that place that day. And I was like, Lord, I, I know that was your voice and I cannot find that man. Now, by that point, I was rector of an end point job. I mean, I had the job was to die for if you were an Episcopal priest. It was just you couldn't want more if you were a parish priest. And I was giving God the what for, and, and I said, I can't find that man. And the Lord, the voice of the Lord spoke into my soul. When I speak to someone, it's because I expect them to do something about it. And like a, an arrow went through me that for 20 years... I'd remembered what the Lord said, but he meant for me to obey it. And I went home and tried to explain it to Cynthia, and we both, both broke down and wept. We loved where we were. We raised our children in that town, and the parish was a wonderful parish for us. We wept before the Lord for, 48, for three days, and we said, it's the Lord. And so I resigned that parish in 1993 to begin trying to figure out what does it mean to start a, a, an Anglican order of church planters. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> but that's what I've been doing, we've been doing together since 1993. Now, the moment I launched onto that, and that at the beginning it was me and Cynthia. No money, no organization, no sense. <laughs> Except that God was saying to do it. But when we began that, I began to pray the collect of St. Bartholomew's Day. And the reason I prayed it was because that sermon 20 years before, the old preacher had not used Bartholomew's name. But when he came to the place where the prayer we prayed already, where it says, you gave to your apostle Bartholomew, 
grace. He had prayed, you gave to your apostles grace. And where in the prayer we prayed tonight, it says what he believed, the old preacher put, what they believed. So he just made it a prayer that claimed um, by faith the grace of God that was given to all the apostles, that, that the church that belongs to Jesus would love what they believed and preach what they taught, that that's what the church would do. And by 1993, in the United States of America, I was already heartbroken, heartsick, and, and beyond understanding what was happening to the church that I'd been raised in. And I knew that it had to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ, or it was going to lead, it, it, was, going by, it was going to hell. I knew that. So this prayer gave life to me as we embarked on starting the Missionary Society. And, um, and I, I was traveling a lot, casting vision, and wherever I would go, I would start my sermon with that, that, that prayer. Then, then the Lord, um, uh, amazingly and wondrously, through the recently gone home to be with Jesus, Bishop Chuck Murphy, I was called, Cynthia and I were asked if we would lay down that work and go help a church in Florida. And I said, I can't lay down that work, but I think I can keep the Missionary Society going with one arm and help that church with the other. And so we agreed to go to Florida. And that's why I know Jay. And that's why I know Amy. And that's why I've been privileged to know Isaac and Josiah and Olivia and now Hadassah. Dasi, I didn't really know her in Florida, but I got to meet her out here some years ago. And Jay heard me say that collect every Sunday that I preached, because for the five years I was there, every time I preached, I started with that sermon. I mean, with that, that prayer. So let me pray it again, my way, not St. Bartholomew's way, but old, old Doc Parker's way. Almighty and everlasting God, you gave to your apostles grace truly to believe and preach your word. Grant to your church to love what they believed and to preach what they taught through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. That collect has power. And if this becomes the name of this parish, I, I say if, but there, there could, there's probably no if in it anymore. But when you become no longer All Saints East, but St. Bartholomew's, St. Bart's, St. B's, however you all end up calling yourselves, when your feast day comes around, your patronal feast, which will be August the 24th every year, you'll hear that call it. And if you hear it with the ears of your heart, live it. Please, for the sake of a dying world, learn to love what the apostles loved and to preach, teach, live what they taught. Almighty and everlasting God, he gave everything there is. 
The collect is so dense you could preach on it for 10 weeks. Don't try it. I don't recommend that, actually. But, but all that is he gave, and he, and he gave to a unique band of fools, a unique band of broken human beings, a unique ma- band of men with infirmities and problems and difficulties like everyone in this room. He called them to himself. He taught them to be disciples, and he told them he had a special work for them, and he sent them to do it. And we call them the, the twelve or the apostles. But it was God who claimed them out of obscurity. They were ordinary people just like us. They were not rock stars. You know, they were not the people that anybody would have thought you would recruit. They were ordinary. They were good people. They weren't bad people, but they were ordinary men with ordinary jobs, trying to take care of life and do the things they'd been taught. And as far as we can imagine, they all at least went to synagogue on Saturday. You know, how devoted some of them were, we really don't know. But we know this, when Jesus said to them, I have need of you, they followed him. When he said, will you come along with me and learn from me, they came. And one of the first ones he called was Bartholomew. Bartholomew was one of the first five disciples of Jesus according to the beloved Apostle John, who I am real prone to trust. Um, And and the the one that was there and knew him best called him Nathaniel. John the Apostle called him Nathaniel. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke called him Bartholomew. And the reason is Bartholomew means he was the son of Ptolemy. It, It means like if you're... If your name is Johnson or Williamson or Fredrickson or Erickson or one of the thousand Richardson, anything with that, like it's like my dad was Don, D-O-N. So I'm Don's son. Now, when I was baptized, I was baptized John. So I'm John, Don's son. Nathaniel, which means gift of God, was the son of Bartholomew. A son of son of Ptolemy, and some of them just called him by his dad's name. I wasn't my I wasn't John until I was out of out of my hometown. I mean, everywhere I went till I was seventeen, I was my dad's son. I had to leave town to be me. Anybody else ever have that experience? So, but this is who we're talking about. He was right there in the beginning, day one or two. John the Baptist had disciples, one of whom was John, one of whom was Andrew. They were listening to John the Baptist when Jesus passed, and John the Baptist was told by God, that is Jesus of Nazareth, and he is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. That's him. And Andrew and John left John the Baptist, who had been their rabbi, their discipler, and they went over and started a conversation with Jesus. And being typical men, they didn't tell Jesus the truth. I I thought I would get a reaction from the men, but 
Maybe that is too truthful. But, but, but Jesus asked them, what do they want? And they didn't say, well, our rabbi, John the Baptist, told us that you might be the Messiah. Is that really true? And they don't say that. They just say, where are you staying? Isn't that like men? You know, they, they, they're thinking you might be the Messiah, but the best they can do is, where are you staying? And what does he say? He says, come and see. And John remembers it so vividly, he tells us exactly what time of day it was. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. So John and Andrew go to be with Jesus at four o'clock in the afternoon. There's nothing in the scripture to tell us what happened. What, what would you do? If, if, if you met a couple of guys at four o'clock tomorrow, Michael, you'd say, you want to go have some chips and beer? I mean, you'd go do something, hang out, right? Get some meat, get talk, get something to eat. If they really got going, they kept going until somebody said, I got to go to bed. I'm tired. It might have been the Lord. Let's just say they were ordinary and they said that at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. These guys have been with Jesus since four in the afternoon. It's now 10 or 11 on the first day. That's more time than many of the people I've known in the church that I love give to the Lord Jesus in a month. They're so busy doing the church's work. But they just were with him. Wonderful, beautiful. And in the morning, Andrew can't stand it. He's got to go find Peter. So he finds Peter. And now Peter comes. Now there's three. Then the scripture says, beautifully, John says, then Jesus went and found Philip. That's just awesome to me. He went and found Philip. And Philip went and found Bartholomew, whose real name was Nathaniel, to his family. But in the company of the apostles, he was known as the son of Ptolemy. So Bartholomew comes in as the fifth of the beginning group. And we know from John's gospel that he lived in Cana. He was from Cana. So when the very next day Jesus said, I'm going back to Cana, do you want to come? They went. So they were actually going to Bartholomew's hometown. And they walked from Bethany across Jordan to Cana in Galilee, which was 30, 40, 50, 60 miles. No one's quite sure where Bethany across the Jordan was. Two days, three days. So again, these first five disciples are just being with him. It's such a beautiful picture of what discipleship means. Being with someone and learning from them. Being with someone and beginning to understand them. Being with someone and beginning to love them. So that was the journey that, that those five were on. And they will one day be given the office and assignment of being apostles to the ends of the earth. And though the New Testament doesn't tell us the story of many of them, we know a little about what happened to Peter, not a lot. We know a little about a few of them, but we don't know a great deal. But very rapidly in the history of the church, the stories of what happened were told, just like my grandmother told me stories about her grandmother. So I know my grandmother's grandmother through my mother and my grandmother, not because I ever met her. And that happened. And the story of Bartholomew is this. He went to India. 
he went from the Holy Land to India to preach the gospel. A hundred, hundred and twenty years later, a, a saint of the church with the wonderful name Pantaneus, who had been a scholar and the head of the Alexandrian School of Theology. Maybe you knew that, Chris. And, uh, but God called him into the mission field late in life. And he went to India and preached the gospel. When Pantaneus came 120, 30 years later, when he arrived, he met Christians. And they had only the gospel of Matthew. And they told him they received it from a man named Bartholomew, who said he was an apostle of Jesus. And he had taught them about Jesus and planted the church. And then he went on in years after that, no one knows exactly when, to Armenia. And in Armenia, preaching the gospel, he was put to death. He was skinned alive and hung on a cross. So what a namesake, huh? Now you're going to tell Jay, could we have a different name? <laughs> skinned alive and hung on a cross. We pray when we pray this prayer that the love that was in that man for Jesus would be in us. That the love that was in that man for the word of God would be in us. That the life that that man learned to live from Jesus in the power of the Spirit would be the life we learn to live from Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Um, and, and that's an awesome thing to want. And God delights in someone who wants that. Now, there's a caveat because it doesn't look very fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, we read the wonderful readings today. You know, the apostles, Paul dares to say, fools for Christ, that sounds fun. But he ends up by saying, we actually get treated regularly like the scum of the earth. We, we have been given an assignment that the world hates so that you who know the Lord Jesus might live. So when we set off to, to walk in the footsteps of the apostles, we have to realize the world does not want us to walk in those footsteps. And we will have to learn how to depend only on the Lord. Um, even our closest friends sometimes will oppose us when we try to do what Jesus asks us to do. But we must, we must, because we are to be people of this collect. You are, I think, being called particularly to be people of the collect at St. Bees, St. Bart's, St. Bartholomew's. But in general, a Christian, a man or a woman in Christ is called to walk in this walk, to love what they loved, and to preach what they preached. And in this context, you have to forgive Thomas Cramner. He was a priest and a bishop, and they always forget the laity. Um, but what he means when he says preach in good 16th century English is how you live, not just what you speak, not if you're a teacher or a preacher, but yes, if you are a teacher or a preacher, but if you're a mother or a father or a brother or an uncle, the way you speak, the things you discuss, the, 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 the prayers you pray, the life you live, 
Love what they believed and live what they lived. That's really what it's saying. Well, how could I love it more? I don't know. And I don't have a clock, so I have no idea if I've talked way past the, the right amount of time. Uh, Jay will be kind to me until I'm gone. So if I'm talking too long. But to walk in this walk is to be a disciple of Jesus. Not a disciple of Thomas Cramner. Not a disciple of St. Bartholomew. Not a disciple of the latest scholar or the latest this or the latest that. But to be a follower of Jesus. Someone learning from Jesus to love his way, his word, his life. And to want with all your heart to see it passed on to others. To be a disciple means to learn to be someone who can help someone else be a disciple. And indeed, beloved, Jesus would want you to know if you don't already, if you think you can be a disciple without helping others be disciples, you haven't been well discipled. The best way to hear that word, if it's new to you, take it from here. I think it's the Lord. When you hear the word disciple, what you really need to hear is disciple-making disciple. Are you a disciple-making disciple? Because if you're not, Jesus' clear teaching in the New Testament is something's gone wrong. You are meant to be those who can help others follow me. Consciously, intentionally, prayerfully, regularly, in your ordinary way of life. To be those who follow me and love me and my word and live my word and help others come to know and love me like I have come to know and love him. It's part of the deal. So when we say this prayer, as beautiful as it is, hear clearly, beloved, it's not for clergy. It's not for bishops. It's for any follower of Jesus to watch and see and learn from those to whom has been given the grace to truly believe and love the Lord Jesus and his word and called to share it. To love what they loved. To believe what they believed. To teach and preach and live what they taught. Will you pray with me? Almighty and everlasting God, you gave to your apostle Bartholomew grace truly to believe and to preach your word. Grant to this congregation and all who will come after to love what he loved and to preach and teach and live the life you gave him. Bless this congregation and bless its work for you in this place. Now and until that day when the earth is to be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Keep this congregation faithful, I pray, until the day of Christ. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.